How do you make business problems disappear? Wrap them in bacon. For business owners, marketing execs, and anyone trying to grow your business, pump your profits, and make more while doing less, welcome to Bacon Wrapped Business with Brad Costanzo. Sizzling hot business advice guaranteed to make you fat. Profits? Every week our chefs will serve you proven recipes for ramping up your revenue. Now here's your host, Brad Costanzo. All right, welcome back to the show. This is Brad, and I have got a really interesting topic today. We're going to talk about uh, royalties, investing in royalties. And if that makes no sense to you whatsoever from this introduction, it will soon. But let me preface that first with what this is all about. So first of all, if this is your very first time listening to Bacon Wrapped Business, this is my platform for getting really smart, influential, successful people on the phone, people who are doing some really cool stuff that I personally want to know about. There's nobody who comes on the show that I don't have an authentic personal curiosity about who they are, what they're doing, and how it'll help both myself, my clients, my partners, and you, my audience. So today is no different. And uh, let me first explain what, um, or how this, how this episode came about. So for the past several years, I've always been a big fan of a newsletter called Sovereign Man, SovereignMan.com. You can go subscribe. And he talks about a lot of alternative investments and things that are going on in the economy. And it's just a really entertaining read. He's also got a great podcast. That being said, I came across a line at the bottom of one of the episodes that said, um, he was talking about alternative investments. And he says, I've been buying cash producing royalties, which in my view is one of the most undervalued asset classes in the world, cash producing royalties. So I clicked on that and I came to a site called royaltyexchange.com. And I remembered the site because I came across this um, maybe a year or two ago. I can't remember when. And it uh, struck my fancy because in my former life, I was an investment uh, an investment advisor and my degree is in finance. And I've always been highly interested in all types of investments from stocks to bonds to uh, you know, real estate and whatnot. And royalty exchange immediately caught my, uh, you know, caught my interest because I don't know enough about it. And basically, and our guest today is one of the partners in it, he'll explain, but it's where you buy and sell artistic royalties, right? Like rights to a song. Now, I started reading through this, and it's an amazing website. I highly recommend you go check it out. There's a lot of education, and there's a lot of FAQ, but I wanted to kind of get to the heart of the matter and ask the que- you know, get answers to the questions I don't even know to ask. So that's why I invited Jeff Schneider on the phone today. Jeff is the, one of the founding partners and CFO of the, of the company RoyaltyExchange.com, and I'm happy to have you here on Bacon Rat Business with me, Jeff. Are you there? Yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. Yeah, my pleasure. So, yeah, so you heard me introduce the um, the concept of this, but why don't you explain briefly, you know, in your words, what this is all about? Because I I've got some very specific questions. Before you do that, let me just tell the audience some of the questions that I want to know. Like, I'm going to ask about a little bit about the history of this, but I'm also going to ask about this from an investor's perspective, like. 
how do we even begin to value this and assess the risk and decide if this is a good investment for us? So for anybody who's got these questions, these are the things we're going to go into. So without any other further ado, tell me a little bit more about Royalty Exchange. Sure. I mean, I'd love to claim the idea for Royalty Exchange, but actually, you know, I found it as an investor about uh, four years ago, three or four years ago, uh, primarily because I was looking for ways to participate in royalty earnings, uh, you know, as an investor. Mm-hmm. And I liked the idea so much, you know, I, and I had a firm belief that this is actually the largest asset class in the world without an established marketplace. So if you look at any other kind of asset that sits on individual balance sheets or, uh, company balance sheets, there's there's an established marketplace to buy and sell these things, but not for royalties, not for intellectual property. So, you know, we saw the opportunity to basically solve problems for both sides. You know, the the supply side or the seller side of our market, these folks have, have historically had bad kind of take it or leave it deals. These folks you know, are the artists. Yeah, the artists primarily. And, you know, that it's usually happened in the back room, you know, a handshake, they either have to take it or leave it. And, you know, 20 years ago, they they had to take it. And you see a lot of news stories about these artists that have entered into bad deals. So, you know, and now on the other side of it, you have all of these investors, you have more money floating around the world than almost any other time in history. And, you know, they're all searching for yield. You know, 20% of global debt is trading at a negative interest rate. And so you have all this money floating around looking for deals. They're looking for yield or they're looking for alternative investments that aren't correlated to the stock market. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of at that stage several years ago and I, I found Royalty Exchange and we just saw such a huge market for it that we we, we bought the business. And then, um, you know, I think right now we're focused on music. Uh, that's That's where we spend almost all of our time right now. But if you look at how we'll continue to grow, it's, you know, it's music, it's books, it's intellectual property, patents, trademarks, um, and even like alternative energy, wind and solar all have royalty streams attached to them. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, let me back up a little bit. So like you said, and this is this part is more for my uh, my listeners who may, hopefully I think they're catching it, but bottom line, if you're an artist and you've either written or produced or own the rights to a stream of royalties uh, and you're... And in essence, you have the rights to something, right? Which is what royalties are, and you get an income stream. You don't have a lot of options out there. You can sit back and collect that, but sometimes people need or want money now, and there is a value to that income stream. So in the past, like you said, they would have to what? Just go out privately and try to find somebody to maybe, you know, purchase the rights to their royalties, and a lot of times they could get screwed because there's no market for that. So it sounds like Royalty Exchange created the market, and it allows investors like you and me who have cash, who want a non-correlated asset class to step in and say, "Yeah, I'll, I'm willing to pay X amount for that for that stream of income." Right? Exactly. And uh, it, for the investor, it's a purely passive engagement. Yep. So the artist has already created the work. In most cases, they have, you know, a history of income. That's what we present on the website. So you can you can better predict what the future may hold, and. So what they're using it for is they want to come out with a new album or they want to go on tour or they need something for their personal finance. Maybe so a new Lamborghini. That's how marketplaces are created. You know, you have people who need some capital and you have people who have it trying to deploy it. And uh, yeah, so we just we just do the matching between the two. Okay. So some of the 
some of the questions that come up, you know, in my mind as a uh, as a potential investor. So I totally get the concept. What I don't understand is a how to value the royalties as an investor, uh, and I'll I'll put an asterisk on that because I I do see that I kind of know that if there's a if there's a uh, if something's making let's say you know whatever per month ten thousand dollars per you know monthly income and I need you know maybe I want a ten percent return on my money or I'm happy with whatever I just structure you know I buy it based you know reverse engineering what kind of income I need to to earn and I'll talk and I'll, I want to kind of talk about what to expect as far as income goes but um, one of the things that really eluded me is how the heck you mitigate the risk and understand the value of a stream of royalties because we all know that past performance is not an indicator of future results. With royalties, this is a totally separate world because most people don't even see, you know, people see stock markets and they see the bond market and they see real estate and they, they you know, it's a much more transparent marketplace. But for instance, I just went to one of the things on your uh, website right here. This was just a, a recent auction that closed and it was for uh, a Wiz Khalifa catalog, 90 plus songs from Wiz Khalifa's number one Grammy nominated Black Hollywood with a bunch of different songs. And I'm not familiar with the album. I, I know who Wiz Khalifa is. And I'm looking at the financials here and I see, um, you know, the last 12 months royalties are about a little over 10,000. And it looked like it sold for $83,000, this portfolio of rights. So, that probably is a little bit, you know, what is that, 10 divided by 83, right? That's how you, it's about a 12%. Yep. You know, so that's, I, I, I'm not off base. Yeah, right? the, the easiest way to think of it is, you know, in, in uh, there's two ways. The, the ultimate way any financial instrument is traded is discounted cash flow scenario. Yeah. Uh, stocks are supposed to trade that way. Everything's supposed to trade that way. But in the end, what what it trades at is its its relative price to other assets, and you know a multiple on that. Yeah. And so I think the the way the, the easiest way to explain how music royalties may trade is you take you look at what they've earned over the last twelve months or the average of the last three years, and then you can take a multiple on it. But the key is, is that the multiple can vary anywhere from we've seen below a two times multiple. So something that earned $10,000 last year would trade for less than 20. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen it as high as 12 times. And that's, you know, something that earned 10,000 went sold for 120,000. Yep. Yeah, 120,000. Does that all depend upon you know, the, the apparent stability of that income exactly. stream. Okay. Yeah. And so the biggest, the, I would say the probably largest factors in that is the stability of it, the, the sources of the income, you know, so a song, the age of it. Mm-hmm. So a song that was written, you know, something that went for 11 or 12 times was a Barry White song that was written 35 years ago. It was, it was his second largest hit. You're my first, my last, my everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that song is has been popular for 30 years. It's going to be popular for another 30 years. And so it's easy. It's easier to understand the history. There's less variability in annual income on that one than there is, um, you know, even something like Wiz Khalifa that it's a little bit newer. It's related to a, a popular artist right now. So the out the earnings were strong and growing. 
So that one went for, you know, I think a pretty decent multiple. I think it was eight, eight or so times, seven and a half times. And it's just a, it's a matter of those key factors. How stable is it? How old is it? And what are the sources of income? You know, something that has uh, a higher source of streaming income, Mm -hmm. which, you know, streaming income right now is the largest. It's, it's far outpacing any growth um, anywhere else in music. And so something that has a lot of streaming income is somebody's going to be willing to pay a higher multiple for that. Right. And something that has, you know, more uh, temporary placements or relies on CD sales because there's just yeah. fewer of those now. Well, and that's and you're going into the, some of the next questions that I had, which is, um, as I said, there's not a lot of transparency for the average person who doesn't understand royalty, uh, the royalty market. Like, you know, what are all the sources and how stable oh. are those? And we all know that songs go in and out of style, right? Like, there's probably you know, maybe only fashion goes in and out of style more than songs. Um, so trying to know if a Wiz Khalifa, I'm just using this as an example, um, investment would be good is really hard for me to know because I don't know, is it dependent upon, you know, like people's taste and getting on Spotify or iTunes or whatever and constantly streaming this? Is there, let me, let, let me rephrase it like this because this is something you might be able to answer because right now I'm just kind of telling you the questions in my head. For you, somebody who's obviously an expert in this since he's behind the scenes, if you're putting your own money into a royalty stream and you're bidding on something, what are your, what are the things you're personally looking for as the uh, benchmarks it needs to have and what are some of the red flags? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, and I would say the the lack of transparency of it is something that we're absolutely looking looking to fix. Mm-hmm. So, a couple of things we do with each and every auction, I get, well probably the easiest thing. First thing is I would do as an investor is we have a an investor report that's called the Ultimate Guide to Buying Music Royalties. So, in there we explain a lot of the sources, you know, and the trends of each of the sources. So. That's kind of the first place. And then in every auction, what we do is we try to make in the financials, we we show different charts on, you know, streaming by source or income by source, income by song, the growth rates behind each. And then we also present all of the raw data so that somebody could do their their own analysis. And so I think the that's something that we're looking at improving is basically solving that information gap for investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so. For me personally, it's, it is actually everything we just discovered. I mean, we've done 115 auctions in the last about 14 months. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, the key factors have been exactly what we talked about. And that is, you know, everybody we talk to in the music business, everybody who's acquired large amounts of catalogs, we're, we're teaching investors the same way that catalogs have traded historically. We're just trying to equip them with all the data. Right. Okay. So what about, is there a, is there a price back to, this is just back to you personally. Is there a price that you, or is there a yield that you're particularly looking for or a range? I think, uh, I think yield completely depends on risk. Yeah. Um, so, you know, would I, would I be willing to pay 10 or 12 times for Barry White? I think so. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I mean, I, it's going I see to be around for a while, likely. Yeah, you see that. Um, so I, I think all of that depends on risk. You know, some of the ones I've been excited about also are lower 
on the multiple place, but they're a little bit riskier. So it's a, I think that's where us having the marketplace allows all of these things to find their real price mm-hmm. because of competition in the market. And what, none of that used to exist before. Besides something like it's reliant on CD income, what are some of the other big risk factors that you see? I think the one of the ones that I would say probably took us a, a month or two to really catch up, catch up to uh, and think about as we were selling these catalogs is really paying attention to the number of new songs that are added to the catalog every quarter or every year. And so one of the charts that we present now shows the quarterly income, but then it also shows the number of new tracks that earn each quarter. And the probably the easiest way is to draw a, co- a contrast. So okay. if you look at like a, a Wiz Khalifa catalog or a Barry White catalog, you know, Barry White hadn't added any songs for 30 years to what we sold. Mm-hmm. And the earnings stream was pretty stable. Um, but, you know, two months after that or a month around that, we had an, another catalog where the earnings looked stable from a quarterly basis. But underneath it, they were adding about 50 tracks per quarter in order to keep that income stable. And so obviously when they sell it, the the, the buyer or the investor doesn't get any future work. They only get the, the historical work. Right. So that that catalog will decline in earnings, you know, but so you can't predict that one to be flat and level because in order for it to stay flat, they had to add tracks. So I think that's one thing that we make. uh, We make it available in the first bar chart uh, on the financials tab, because I do think it's an important one that isn't super obvious on the surface. Now, that's that's brilliant. And that's the kind of stuff that you know, the average investor probably wouldn't know to ask, but like you said you you do have a report in there that explains a lot of this information. Well, and it's part of it that I want them to ask that, actually. Right. That's so what I'm saying. Uh, it's like so a lot of us don't know. We don't yeah. know what to ask or we don't know what we don't know. Now, have you seen in the past, you know, 14 months of um, doing 150, 115 of these auctions, and granted that's, you know, in 14 months, that's not a lot of time to see, you know, long-term results, but have you seen some of these go really sour? I mean, there's risk inherent in anything, but have there been any, I'm looking for also worst case scenarios, because that's always good to know. Yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're definitely too early for that, because most of these things, like I said, are trading for for, uh, higher multiples. But I would say, I mean, if you look at the returns in music, over, I guess, as an asset class, everything that I've read from trade magazines and kind of investor IP stuff, IP books, um, talk about between a 14 and 16% return in the music business. But I think um, all of that obviously relies on buy price, right? Yeah, totally. So when you're, when you're investing, when you're taking a passive position in an investment, the buy price becomes that much more important. And that's why you know, we recognize the burden on us to present this data clearly and fairly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there, what, what else am I not asking that I should be asking? Well, I think one of the things you had talked about earlier was the, you know, most undervalued asset class uh, from one of Simon's newsletters. Mm-hmm. And I think the, you know, he probably his point 
revolves around the fact that the music business went through such disruption for 20 years, you know, as everything oh. switched from kind of basic records to CDs to then Napster came along and suddenly almost everything became free. Um, so it wasn't until 2015, it was from 1999 to about 2015, the music business shrunk. I mean, it almost cut in half. Mm-hmm. Actually, it may have even cut in half. And since 2015, the growth of streaming, the power of like Spotify and Apple Music is now really coming into a place where the music business is now growing. You know, it grew double digits last year. Um, you know, you're starting to see institutional money come this way. So uh, I, over a billion dollars of institutional money have, have acquired music assets over the last five or six years. Um, Blackstone just bought one of the largest music distributors uh, in the U.S. So you're starting to see institutional money come here because you see music has turned that corner. Um, so it's, I would say the general trend of a lot of investments is that you get kind of the bigger institutional money coming that way. Mm-hmm. And then you get more family office and high net worth folks. And then it'll eventually get retail. And we're nowhere near that point yet you know i think the asset class has a long way to go before we get there and the music business itself no it sounds like it are there any um are there any particular auctions that have closed recently that or you know in the past time that besides the berry one there's you know just uh, really interesting to talk about are there any kind of good fun stories the story this, this is once uh, more the things that i good, don't know to ask good good fun stories uh we do have we do have a few. Um, you know, we've, we have sold things outside of music, including like photography. Uh-huh. So when uh, a video or a picture gets sold or licensed on Getty or ThinkStock or um, any of those places. So those have been interesting. We had like a helicopter footage. The guy had gone all over the world and filmed helicopter flyover footage. Hours and hours, this stuff had been used in like for movies, Emmy and, movies and, and commercials all, all over the place. So I think that one was quite interesting. Um, we had, in terms of buyers, you know, we had one where the 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 buyer's daughter got engaged to this country song, and so he wanted to buy her a present, a wedding present, and he bought her the royalty rights yeah. to this song that she got engaged to. And so now, so now forever, she's going to get a quarterly check from this song that she got engaged to related to her, her wedding. Wow. Wow. That's cool. I like that. Now on the, on, on these listings, there's different kinds of streams you can buy, right? So I could buy the total rights to a song. And I'm also seeing something called a pure advance. Uh, tell me about some of the, the, the types of, uh, of things I can buy here because it doesn't look like it's just one type, right? Yeah, good, good question. So what we most of our our deals are really are their their permanent purchases of the royalty stream. Okay, and so that royalty stream, without getting into too much complexity of the music business, uh, we do go through all of this in that report that I mentioned. But there's kind of two basic copyrights. And I think it is important for investors to understand. There's what's called the composition copyright and then there's the sound recording copyright. And the composition copyright is the song as it's written and the the sound recording is the song as it's recorded. So as an example, 
um, the Christmas song "Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire." So we'll we'll give we'll give your listeners a uh, fun facts for them to mm-hmm. uh, this Christmas season. Nice. So that that song "Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire" was written by Mel Torme, the actual the actor. Hmm. Um, so he still generates. It was written by him and one other person. He still generates over three hundred thousand dollars a year in royalties from that song. Wow. And so what he owns as the writer of that is the composition copyright. All right. When Nat King Cole went to go record it for the first time, and now it's been recorded over a hundred other times, the individual artist that records it owns the sound recording copyright. Okay. So uh, let's talk about, you know, really, for the most part, any use of that song pays both of those people. The only real interesting exception to that is the U.S. radio market. So when your listeners hear that song on Over Christmas, they can they can tell all of their friends that Mel Torme makes money on that play, but uh, Nat King Cole earns nothing. So almost everything pays both except for U.S. radio. U.S. radio only pays the songwriter. Interesting. So, so yeah, I can so give you the reason play, they why. Can play, they play, what would you say, Nat King Cole... They can play Nat King Cole's version of Chestnuts, but they don't pay Nat anything, right? Right. They yeah, just... they don't pay they don't pay Nat anything. So now, obviously, all of that as streaming is picked up, streaming will pay both the Mel Torme estate and Nat King Cole, Nat King Cole's estate. Right. But um, but for U.S. radio, it's just like the unique little place that uh, only pays one of the two. So are songwriters some of the richest people in the music industry or no? No, they're not. So so part of the reason why the U.S. did that, as actually this, this answers your question, is that the songwriters, since they're not the mainstream artist, doesn't have a, many different ways to, to monetize. Ah, so, so it kind of protects them. Like an artist, for example, can go on tour and the radio is – you know, the way the U.S. looks at it is the radio is free advertising for that artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so the songwriter doesn't have that protection. And so that's why the U.S. kind of stepped in and put in a regulation around that. So it's a, it is a unique one. But in, in most cases, the artist is the one, ha- you know, a lot of times the artist is also the songwriter. So that's one way that they're making money from both copyrights just because they did both. Right. Right. So. But the artist, say the artist is only the sound recording copyright, you know, they, they make money in other ways, whether it's on tour or, you know, getting other record, record label deals. Yeah, that is interesting. As I said, I, I know so little about this. That being said, I did start to look into all the BMI ASCAP um, <clears throat> regulations and laws back in 90. Oh man, what was it like 96 or 97? Wow. A friend of mine and I, or two of my friends, we started our very first online business and we were going to, back when house and techno music very, very, very first started, we were going to digitize that or actually tie into some streams of at nightclubs that were uh, oh. doing this because you couldn't really buy that many CDs of it. They were just spinning them in clubs. So yeah. we were going to go after them. And by the way, like real player and streaming was brand spanking new. Cuban hadn't even sold his, <laughs> uh, his company yet. I remember when that happened. And, uh, yeah, but streaming was so brand new. And I remember 
you know, potentially wanting to go to the uh, some of the bigger people and wondering to know if we had to go through BMI ASCAP. And I was trying to figure it out. And I was in my early to mid-20s, like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is so weird. This is such a, <laughs> a, a crazy industry to try to navigate when I didn't know anything. So here I am, full circle. Yeah. No, it is funny that, that you have some familiarity with them. Right? So basically, if people want to explore this as an alternative asset class, they should empty out their savings and put everything they have into one auction, right? I'm joking. As, as all good asset managers would tell you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, but in essence, it looks like you do have a ton of great um, education on here. And would you say that like, if you were giving me advice on exploring this as an option, um, I read the education you've got on the site. I take a look at some of the auctions. I dig in, get my hands a little bit dirty, um, figuring out, you know, learning what I don't know, and maybe even just starting with, well, what am I, you know, what returns am I looking to make? Like, do I want 8%? Do I need 20%? Or what, what would be worth it? Kind of assess the risk factors. Um, that being said, risk factors are probably the hardest things to assess. Do you guys as a company offer any guidance whatsoever, Q, like Q&A, if I, um, if I wanted to know something about this, uh, you know, the Wiz Khalifa, it's a, it's a closed auction now, but if I wanted to know some more details on that and just get some guidance from an investor standpoint, do you have any resources there? Yeah, so I mean the easiest way, as I mentioned, is probably if you, they sign up, get that report, uh, I always recommend people kind of get oriented by looking at multiple auctions, exactly. looking at some closed ones, even just passively watching some new ones that we have coming up. So we've we've been doing two to three a week. Um, so, you know, just you don't have to bid on the first one that you see. I think it's always good to orient yourself to understand how it works. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we do have a great account management team. So as as questions come up, Feel free to ask questions. Of course, we can't answer questions as to the value. Um, everybody's in their different scenario. But if it's a question about the music business or understanding it or the risk, I mean, we're happy to answer anything, mm -hmm. any questions aside from what do you, is this going to go up or down in the right. future? Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, as I flip through here, I'm trying to see if there's anything else that kind of stands out as a, uh, you mentioned, did, did you really mention any of the other red flags? I know you mentioned one of them was, are they, is a lot of the, is the source income coming from, coming from brand new stuff, right? It was like in essence propping it up. So when they, when they stop adding new songs to that catalog, it goes down. Is there anything else that's kind of a, like CDs, you said. Is there anything else that kind of stands out? Like, yeah, this makes it less than ideal. I mean, I, I think that's all information gathering. So mm -hmm. I think uh, one thing that we certainly pay attention to, and we we talk with the artist about where to start the auction, obviously. And you know, part of it is understanding if there are copyrights included. Then that means you're going to own the copyright. And that makes it more of an active investment on your part. So Because you have to defend uh, the copyright? Yeah. Well, not necessarily to defend, but to make sure that it, it keeps getting used and make sure that it's on Spotify and make sure that it's in these places. So there's a so, difference between owning – like I could buy 
the royalty stream, but I'm not buying the copyright. Right. Mm, yeah. See, so the questions the I don't know stream, to ask. That's good. Yeah. So the royalty stream is, um, if you think about, as we mentioned with the two different copyrights and then say there's more than one songwriter. So almost any royalty stream associated with a single song may be split seven or eight ways. Yep. And so when you're buying an asset, understanding if you're buying a purely passive investment, which most of ours are, mm-hmm. but every every now and then, like uh, I think last week or two weeks ago, we closed one that included the copyrights. And in some ways, that think of that's like a I probably can't shouldn't use this term, but it's mm-hmm. like business in a box. So it's uh, it includes the copyrights. It's already placed everywhere, um, but in the end, you do own the copyrights, and you can you can be more active in that investment than most of the other investments. So, so when you, and when you say more it. active, like give me an example of. So say you own the copyrights and uh, you have a friend who runs an ad agency. Mm-hmm. So you call up that friend and you say, hey, I own the copyrights of this of this song. Do you think you could get it in a commercial or mm. use it online and or get it placed? And, and those – Because I can approve it because I own it. Uh, exactly. Otherwise, if I only own the royalty stream – to, I'll just use Wiz Khalifa, but Wiz owns all the uh, copyrights. I can't ultimately approve the use of anything. Right. So what you're rep- what you're kind of de- depending on or relying on is you know Wiz is going to stay active, or mm-hmm. you know his publisher or his label is going to continue to promote his music. Which, when you only own a fraction of it, it's actually great because they're they have all the incentive to keep pushing it, and that's what makes it a real passive investment. That's cool. So that's part of the reason I liked it is I'm like all of these other people have the incentive to push, and I can just sit back and collect the check. But I, as an investor who's new to it, I would just make sure that they're aware of of that tr- of that trade off between active and passive. What percentage of the auctions that you guys do would you say, just offhand, include copyrights or don't? Is that a common thing or not? Uh, definitely less than ten percent okay. include the copyright. So if you can get it, it's obviously going to be you're going to pay more for it because you've got more earning potential. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's all a trade off yeah. of. I mean, then it's more about your the opportunity cost of your time. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. So let me flip the um, script here and talk about you know your like the the business side for royalty exchange. So you guys obviously can attract um, attract artists who have royalty owners because you're out there. They didn't even know that this existed. There may be somebody who's like you said they want to do something with the cash, so they contact you. Are you guys act out there actively uh, shopping for? royalty rides are you doing anything proactive there yeah we have we have a sales team that's dedicated to educating artists and and basically you know what we're in a place is helping them out Mm -hmm. um, because they have uh, more opportunity now to actually control their destiny than they did 10 years ago so it's it's actually a really good time to be an artist uh, that there's with the growth of streaming you know, it used to be that a song would make all of its money on the radio and then kind of tail off. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Barry White song that, that we mentioned. Right. Most of its earnings was made 30 years ago. And now it's just consistent, which is great for an investor. But, you know, artists now, and we're seeing catalogs now of musicians who they they got their start online, that all of their presence has been digital, 
And digital is what grows. And so every month and every quarter, they've been seeing growth. And that's the stuff that never happened 20 years ago. You know, these people, these people didn't control their own destiny. They couldn't build their own fan base. But now online with social and all the other yeah. platforms, they can. So I, the easiest example is Chance the Rapper yeah. just run, won a, a Grammy. And he's never sold a CD in his life. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, And I guarantee if you were to look at his earnings stream, I don't know him personally, but I can guarantee his income is going up every period and not down the way most radio play used to happen. Yeah. So are you guys look actively looking then to get in front of more uh, artists and people who own royalties to, to educate oh, them? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we do – I mean we do traditional marketing and then, um, you know, I would say – we certainly have a presence at a lot of like musician type events or artists creative events. Nice. Now, do you um, do you offer for? And I ask this question somewhat selfishly, but also for my uh, for my other um, listeners out there. Um, it, like for instance, if I and I don't like I I actually don't have this, but hypothetically, let's say my best friend has a royalty stream. He's an artist. He's got a great royalty stream, et cetera. And I'm able to make some kind of an introduction. Uh, is Does royalty exchange have any things set up to reward them? Or is that something that I would do with my friend to say, hey, if you sell this, give me 10%. I'm always thinking like an entrepreneur. Yeah. No, I, I like the way you're thinking. Uh, we, I mean, we, we have done a little bit of that, uh-huh. but I would say most, most, almost all of our sales come from people who have sold from us before or a direct referral just because they are happy with the result. So I think, I I don't know the exact stat. The last time I remember it, it was like 50 or 53% of our auctions were repeat customers or referrals. And these are the the investors or the uh, artists? uh, The artists. Okay. Are the artists that are mainly selling on your site, are they performers, writers, producers? Is there a... Is there a commonality there and like who they are and like, cause I don't know once more, I don't know enough about. Yeah. The... Good, good question. We, we, I would say we serve them all, but a majority of them are songwriters. Writers. Perfect. Okay. How often do you see, um, the singer songwriter these days? Is it, is it a lot more separation between the songwriter and the, and the performer out there in the music industry? Wow, I I don't know enough about the market. No, to, I can't say I have a good enough view of of that to know both. Yeah, I don't know. They're yeah, just, I, kind the of thing I do head. know is that collaborations have have gone way up now that yeah streaming and tracking has become a little bit easier. Collaborations have definitely gone up, but I don't know about singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting though. So if a person has, I'm, I'm once more thing. I'm in the artist's shoes here now. If I have a, if I have a, uh, a royalty rights and a stream or copyright something, is there something that makes it, like, is there a minimum requirement to to list with royalty exchange? Is there something that, like, eh, you know, you're making a hundred bucks a month, you don't don't even bother, or is that fine? It, I would say, our we'll look at a lot of things, but we do internally we have a few requirements. I mean. If a, if the song has been around for twenty years and it's earning a thousand dollars a year, that's fine. Um, but if it's a brand new song 
that, you know, we don't know what the future may hold. We will, I mean, we turn down a lot of deals because we want to make sure that we only present, you know, reasonable deals to investors. Right on. That makes sense. Well, this is really, really cool. And, um, Jeff, you've answered a lot of the questions I had. You've, you know, illuminated some of the questions I wouldn't even know to ask. Um, are there any, are there any nuts you you guys are trying to crack right now with the business? Whether it's just getting more exposure, whether it's you know resources, people you're trying to meet, things you're trying to you know people you're trying to hire. It doesn't matter. This is just kind of like where myself and my listeners, if they if we can solve your problem, we can always reach out to you and help out. So I call this my nut cracking question. Yeah, I, I love that question. I mean, we're always looking for supply side of the of the business, mm-hmm. uh, and so. That's definitely an important factor for us. The other thing I would say, a very kind of interesting path that we may, that we'll head down over the next year or so is, you know, everything we do right now is one-to-one. So it's one buyer to one seller. Mm -hmm. And a way to make sure that we can get into these premier assets is to be able to securitize those. And so we will be, basically, it, it solves a real problem for these kind of, the artists that are our big top level premier artists, but you know, they, they can't go to Goldman Sachs and get a financial product for them. Um, so by us basically securitizing them and allowing a lot of their fans to buy in and other investors to have a product that generates the yield that a royalty stream does, uh, is something that we're really excited about. So, okay. So let's uh, hunt that rabbit. Cause I, now you're talking some stuff that I like to talk about as well. So let's let's run an example on this. Let's say a, a a marquee artist, right? Like a Eminem or somebody huge. Is that who you're talking about? Like somebody who's like really really premium? Uh just a yeah, top level artist. Okay. So, so Eminem came to mind just because why not? Give me the example of that again cuz I I like where you're going here and I want to I just want to make sure we map this out cuz I may even have some ideas. Yeah, so it's, I mean, obviously it's hard to know any of the math without any details, but um, I mean, the general concept is in this, what our objective would be to create a royalty stream or an asset that somebody could buy in their E-Trade account and have it generate far superior yields to anything else that's in the stock market, but also in the end, not be correlated to it. Right. So. So this you know, would be the artist who is saying, all right, I'm making um, – I'm throwing numbers out there just because, you know, why not? I'm making $5 million a year off this royalty stream, right? Something big. And I want to allow my fans and other investors, et cetera, to be able – if this is securitized in some way, they may not buy it for $50 million, but they may buy it. They may have $5,000 to put in and they'll get a piece of that stream. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. They would get they would get a piece of that stream. Interesting. So what is that being done at all right now or is that something that uh, like a new derivative has to be created in order for that to happen? That's yeah, that's where it is. It's a little early to talk about it, but it's mm-hmm. something that we've got to we've got to kind of crack that nut, as nice. you said. That's a good nut to crack. I can see how that can work, especially these days with um are you familiar and, and i don't know if these are even this could be apples to oranges but uh like regulation a plus equity crowdfunding have you looked into that oh uh, yeah we're we're definitely aware of, of reg a plus 
Nice. Because that's been something I've advised a handful of companies on, their uh, marketing strategies for Reggae Plus deals. Oh, really? Yep. And then yeah. – um, the and I've got I've got other colleagues and friends who are heavily heavily involved in that. I just wonder how that could kind of work, where because I mean they really are securitizing. And I'm just you know thinking out loud here, where if you know they file the if I'm an artist and I file the all the necessary requirements with the SEC and I put it out there to say yeah listen this is my you know, my royalty rights are this, you can buy, I'm selling 40% of the, you know, this for $5 million, people can buy in. Now they have a piece of that. I mean, that, that may, that may be a way to do it using some of the, um, the reggae plus regulations, but I don't know. But that's yeah. I see I that mean, being a huge opportunity. Yeah, we're, like you said. we're trying to look into all of the different options. It's just hard to speculate at oh, this man. point. Totally. Well, if you ever want some resources, some people who are ten times more expert than myself in that in that area, please don't he- hesitate to reach out offline because I've got some great intros I could make. Ah, I would love it. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, man, this is this has been really really good. I appreciate you taking the time on the call to you know to answer these questions and it's been a pleasure to meet you hopefully my listeners appreciate this This is why you know i have this entire platform so i can reach out to people like yourself and i can just find out more and uh you know personally i'm scared to death of the stock market prices right now there's a whole lot of uncertainty in it i personally see it as very you know pretty overpriced compared to where i'm comfortable with so i'm constantly looking for alternative asset classes that are not correlated to it for this exact reason. Um, so once more, this is a, this is a really interesting opportunity. Uh, Jeff, is there anything else you'd like to add or any questions you've got or anything else you'd like to need? No, I really appreciate the time. And I mean, I, I'm obviously we're all, we're all here to answer any questions if your listeners have them. So just, uh, feel free to reach out to myself or the account management team. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for every one of you listeners out there. If you've got any other questions about this, I've mentioned the website before. You can go to royaltyexchange.com and check out Jeff and his partner's website and take a look at some really cool, uh, a really, just a really cool business model and something that, you know, because there's probably not as many, I'm guessing probably not as many investors out there looking at this that means that the demand may be lower than if it was something like the stock market thus your ability to uh, potentially get much higher returns uh, i don't know if i need a <laughs> a legal disclaimer but from my days in the financial advice world i am not advising you check with your advisor or your accountant or your lawyer um, that being said anything that you want to ask me uh, any guest recommendations, any big questions, or if you just want a second opinion on stuff you're doing in your business, don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at askbrad at baconwrappedbusiness.com. I do read every single one, and I'm happy to uh, hear what you have to say. So thank you very much, Jeff, and to everybody else. Tune in next time.